0: So have we got any Welsh blood among us? None? Oh well, we're doing well then. Let's come to prayer once again before we come to the word. Lord, we thank you for that great love, vast as an ocean. And Lord, help us not just to look back to times like 1904 in Wales and other revivals through the ages but grant, Lord, that we may see revival here in our own place and in our own time and that the gospel may once again resound in our nation, souls being added to the kingdom and your name glorified. So as we meditate upon your word, we thank you for that inexpressible gift of salvation in Christ and in his name. Amen. It happened that uh, our elder, Roger, who normally takes care of our five (laughs) care home meetings per month, or most months, uh, has not been well, and so I got asked to take two of them uh, in uh, two of the care homes. In the first, we had no less than 17 residents present. In the second, just seven. But it was an opportunity to share the gospel, not only with the residents in those care homes, but also with some of the staff and just one or two visitors who also looked in. There are those who say we shouldn't observe Christmas. Well, I wouldn't uh, want to get into debate on that subject. But one thing is quite certain that the apostle tells us that by all means to seek to save some, that is to miss no opportunity to share the gospel of saving grace. Now, therefore, our text, which are used uh, at those two care homes, um, I've expanded a bit for this evening, is this last verse, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift as rendered in the English Standard Version. <laughs> but it's interesting to note without going into the Greek at all, that different versions use different wording for this particular verse. The NIV and the New King James speaks of the indescribable gift. The New Living Bible says, too wonderful for words. The ESV, as we've just seen and read, inexpressible gift. The authorised version, as you know, unspeakable gift. The Good News Bible, a priceless gift. And that doesn't mean worthless, it means that we couldn't name the price. And uh, I looked up um, the Luther Bible, not that I know much German at all, but uh, it's quite interesting how that tradition expresses this unoutspeakable in typical German fashion. Unoutspeakable gift. Well, all of these, uh, I think, are valid ways of saying we don't know what to say. How about that? Uh, valid ways of saying we don't know what to say. Uh, because this wonderful gift, which we remember, particularly the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas, is the most wonderful gift that God has given to man because of his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Here is love, vast as an ocean. And uh, it's uh, interesting that this morning we reflected on those opening verses of chapter six as giving a light on the subject. Well, here it's a little bit the reverse, isn't it? It's the last verse of the chapter that shines a light back up to the verses above, as it were. and so it is valid as a footnote to the chapter because all that's described in this chapter, this uh, generous giving of the Corinthian Christians that Paul boasts about, as it were, is reflected in the love of Christ, but then it's also an extension to that theme because when we think of giving, then our eyes lift up, as it were, from our giving to that great and inexpressible gift. So I want to look at this in two parts this evening, or two main sections. Firstly, the inexpressible gift of Christ. This, uh, some would think, is a Christmas theme, but I think it's also appropriate as an end of year and looking forward to the New Year theme, because we are thinking this morning uh, of uh, timing And this is a significant time, is it not, as we stand at the end of one year, which has been a very eventful and uh, traumatic year for many, uh, personally, uh, for people we know, and for our nation, perhaps for our church we don't know, but a difficult year. But also a year when we have to look forward to what may happen. And the first point I would want to make Concerning this inexpressible gift is that is is a necessary gift, and as soon as I'd written in "necessary," I wrote again "essential." Some things are necessary, but this is more than necessary. This is an essential gift. And as I intimated, I think this morning I was listening to uh, recordings of Martin Lloyd Jones's preaching many years ago available on the website, uh, end of commercial. Uh, If you see me at the end, I'll tell you the website. It's well worth a visit. And the point he was making yesterday was that uh, the covenant that God made at various points with Adam and Eve and with Noah, and with Abraham, of course, and then the new covenant of the New Testament uh, always was accompanied by the shedding of blood And the reason is, of course, that sin can only be atoned by the shedding of blood. And earlier in this epistle, Paul says this in chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And Paul is writing this, as it were, tongue-in-cheek, because... We know from Scripture that we can do no good. All our righteousness, all our good acts, in God's sight, are filthy rags. They are something which God cannot accept. We cannot earn our salvation. Now, some years ago, you may remember the fashion for... Uh, having stickers on Bibles, Smile Jesus Loves You. I hope none of you have got one of those on, or you might take offence, but we need to be very careful, you see, because when we think of our sin, then we have nothing to smile about, (coughs) nothing at all. We need to be very sure that our sin, when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, will rank us not with the good, not with the sheep, But with the goats, we will not be able to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we find this reflected in the Christian's Christmas story because we have that wonderful story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, of the call of the shepherds that we looked at briefly this morning. Here they were, these humble shepherds looking after their sheep, and suddenly there is this wonderful appearance of the angel and the angels. And so they are sent, as it were, to Bethlehem to see what was being spoken of. And then in verses 17 and 18, we read this, that as they had seen the infant Jesus, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered, at what the shepherds told them. And you notice what's missing there, that the people heard it and wondered, but they did nothing. There is no record in Luke's gospel or anywhere else that they were saved by hearing the coming of the Savior. And the sad thing is, you see, that as we think of this wonderful gift, we need to remember the sin that John chapter 3 speaks of of rejecting the gospel. We are loved to quote John 3 16, don't we? For well, God so loved the world, but we forget what follows that if we do not believe, we are condemned already. The shepherds told what they had seen, what they had heard. The people wondered, but we have no indication that they savingly believed. What about you this evening? This essential gift will bring you salvation, but will it? Will you not heed it and listen that this great gift will be yours? Now during the week, I believe it was this last week, it was said on the uh, television and uh, in the paper of a certain woman, I won't call her a lady because I don't think she is, who is paying herself over 300 million pounds a year. Now, one of my Facebook friends commented upon a certain gentleman who assists our Prime Minister who's earning three times the national salary. Well, I won't comment on that. This woman pays herself 10,000 times the national salary. 10,000 times the national average salary. Is she worth it? What does scripture say? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Well, I don't know where that lady stands, that woman stands spiritually. I suspect that when she appears before the judgment seat of Christ, she'll say, well, I'm a billionaire. I've helped lots of people to ruin with gambling. Aren't I a lovely lady? Aren't I fit for heaven? Go. But what about you? What about me? Have we received this gift? But then you see the verse also says Matthew 16:26. what shall a man or a woman or a boy or a girl give in in return for his soul. Now, uh, I don't know if you're into computers at all, but uh, part of the computer language or parlance is uh, about booting the computer. Have you heard that one? You boot the computer. Well, do you know where that comes from? Uh, It was an early term in computer days when uh, one used to solder them together oneself And uh, it was the start-up of the program. And it comes from the uh, old uh, canard about picking yourself up by your bootstraps. Now, because I can't bend down and do up my shoelaces, I have to get Anne to do it for me. Don't tell her I said that, but uh, there you are. That's subservience for you, helpmeet. In the old days, of course, you had to do your shoelaces up and the idea was that you kneel down, you bend down and you get hold of your shoelaces and you lift yourself up off the floor. It can't be done because of something called gravity. You've heard of that, haven't you? But joking apart, we cannot save ourselves because of the gravity of our sins any more than we can pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. You see, Isaiah 64 tells us, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteousness deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And we could easily put the word all in there. Take us all away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities." And so you see how essential it is that we know and understand what this inexpressible gift is all about. We can't help ourselves. And the whole idea of a gift is that someone gives us what we can't do for ourselves. And so we are reminded that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Another of the people I follow on Facebook wrote this week that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. Well, I had to write back and say, well, if we don't call upon the name of the Lord, we shall not be saved. And certainly there are plenty of verses in Scripture that says, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So there we need to uh, call upon the Lord and know salvation. Now, I learned this at the age of 10. Um, I was involved in a fairly serious road accident and uh, ended up in hospital in Norwich for five weeks. And uh, various things happened, but the thing that happened last is what I want to share with you now, because just prior to uh, being discharged from hospital, according to my mother, I was kicked out because I was such a nuisance, but uh, there's motherly love for you. Uh, Before you were discharged, you were moved out from the ward to a veranda, which was a glass, sort of like a conservatory, built on the outside of the ward. And it was a great privilege to be moved there because you knew you were soon to go home. And uh, next to me in the next bed, we were mixed boys and girls. I was 10 and uh, next was a girl similar age as Isabel, her name was. And I discovered somehow that she had the most beautiful singing voice. And uh, so uh, when it was time for lights out, I would persuade her to sing, Now the Day is Over. Why I persuaded her to sing that, I have no idea, but she did. And each night she would sing the first couple of verses of that hymn. Not in our hymn books, because it's not that wonderful a hymn. But when I got home a few days later, I got Mum to bring me the hymn book and looked it up. And what I saw was this. When the morning wakens then may I arise pure and fresh and sinless in thy holy eyes and it hit me right there because I knew that I was not pure and fresh and sinless even in my own eyes let alone God's if you think you are pure and fresh and sinless, then you are in desperate need of this inexpressible gift of God's salvation in Christ. You need it more than any other gift that you may have ever asked for. You see, in Luke 18, we find this debate about those who thought that they were better than others, and so Jesus told the parable, I'm sure you know it, about those who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and treated others with contempt. Remember how the Pharisee went and prayed openly and loudly and bragged how wonderful he was and how righteous he was. And then we read about this uh, poor tax collector. Well, I hope any of you are not tax collectors. I did my uh, tax return the other day, and. Hopefully I got it right. But uh, this man, of course, was probably corrupt, quite possibly and knowingly corrupt to the people who saw him in the temple or wherever they were. And so we read in verse 13 of this uh, chapter, he was standing afar off. Now these words are not coincidental or for padding. They are there for a reason. He stood afar off. The Pharisee, you see, would approach God and say, yes, I'm righteous. This man realized he wasn't. And so he stood afar off. He knew that he was separated from God. And without this inexpressible gift, so are we all. Second then, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Coming along this evening, I lifted up my eyes and I saw this wonderful bright star. And when I get home, I'm going to try and find out what it is. Is it a star or is it a planet? Maybe it's something that you only have at Potton, but never mind. But he would not lift his eyes up to heaven, where God is, as it were. He was in awe of God. Separate from God, in awe of God. Third, you see... He beat his breast. Why did he beat his breast? He was ashamed of himself. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It was a symbol of his shame for his sin. Then he cried. And this is why I couldn't agree with the lady that says God doesn't hear the prayer of the sinner. God, have mercy to me, a sinner. And what does Scripture say? He went home justified. Why? Because he was willing to receive this inexpressible gift of God's mercy and grace. And so his prayer was answered. We read this in Romans. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Yes, God is a God of love. Here is love vast as the ocean, but he is also a God of wrath against sin. And we dare not come before him in our sin. Well, that's the longest part. Don't worry. Here is the second point. It is a worthy gift. It is a worthy gift. In Luke chapter 21, just a few verses later, there is another story. These people the Lord saw in the temple contributed out of their abundance but this widow in her poverty put in all she had to live on. Now that is a picture surely of our Lord Jesus Christ who all for love's sake became poor and one was saying today about going to a particular service where the bishop sat enthroned on a throne and everybody sort of bowed to him and kowtowed to him. Oh, this is a parody of the Christian gospel, is it not? Because our Lord Jesus Christ didn't sit on an earthly golden throne with people bowing to him. They despised him. They rejected him. They crucified him. He became poor for our sake. And oh, what a worthy gift it was. Have you ever received a gift that meant that whoever gave it, gave everything they had? Of course not. And this lady with her 300 million pounds a year is reputed to have given 75 million, I think it was, to a charity, but it happened to be a charity bearing her own name. And I looked it up on the Charity Commission website and yes, in went seventy five million and out came fourteen million. So what happened to the difference? I have no idea. Perhaps someone can tell me. That's not charity. That's not giving, because she still had more than two hundred million left. Our Lord Jesus had nothing left as he hung on the cross, hung on the cross of Calvary. He emptied himself, as Wesley put it in that great hymn of All But Love. Now, someone criticised that and said, well, he didn't empty himself of his Godhead. Well, of course he didn't. But humanly, everything that any man or woman could perceive was gone. Even his clothes were taken from him. He was naked there on the cross. Don't think these pictures are right. He was naked, stark naked, nothing. They took his clothes and divided them. Everything given. It was a worthy gift. Thirdly, it is a precious gift. A worthy gift, a necessary essential gift, is a precious gift. And so the apostle, you see, when he writes to the Corinthians in that first letter, chapter 2 and verse 2, says this, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and him crucified." Now, I don't know what the custom is here, but uh, in Whittlesey we do have a little tradition of asking the children on Christmas Day morning service to bring their gifts and show us. Not necessarily the best gift, but uh, some of them obviously thought they were bringing the best gift. Certainly, perhaps they had a better one after lunch. Who knows? But you see, this gift that God has given is so wonderful and so worthy that the Apostle can say, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's a wonderful gift to describe, is it not, to the Corinthian Christians. Forget about all those things which are troubling you and causing (coughs) divisions in your church, and just look at Christ crucified. And I don't want to know about anything else. That is the most important gift, the most important thing of all. And of course he says this a few verses earlier in a different way. For Christ did not send, send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied in its power. Now I quote that verse because... Some years ago, Anne and I visited a church, which we knew well, some years after we had left the area. And it was a Christmas service. And uh, we expected then to uh, find it a Christ-centered service. But very sadly, and I've said this many times since, the pastor of that church was gifted and cursed with gifted children. And that may seem a very strange thing to say, cursed with gifted children. And what I mean is this, that that service which was supposed to have praised and honored and glorified the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world was instead engineered and it was obviously engineered to display the talents of his gifted children. And that was very sad because we came away thinking, well, we came to worship the Lord Jesus. We came to sing his praises. And instead we had to hear what talented girls these were that the pastor's children were. Now, the oldest of those children is an Anglican, and I'm not knocking the Anglican church as such, but she is an Anglican canon And uh, she is about as liberal and as far from the gospel as it's possible for anyone to be in a church. She believes in anything that's going. She uh, attended the uh, assisted death of her uncle in the dignitas Clinic in Switzerland and wrote what a wonderful thing it was to see her uncle die by injection. And you think, well, what is this all about? Well, I'll tell you. She was very talented, she was a great singer, she became an opera singer. And then she moved up a notch and became an Anglican minister and she was tipped to be the first woman bishop. Well, she was pipped at the post and I have imagined that was a great knock to her pride. And uh, She's toned down a bit since not being the first woman bishop in the Anglican church in this country. But you see the point, Paul, is not concerned with being eloquent. Not concerned with being musically gifted or whatever it is. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. Martin Lloyd-Jones is eloquent. And many other preachers are eloquent. Not me, you gathered. You've seen that today. But that's not what's important, is it? What's important is to preach the cross of Christ. You know, I once, I probably told you this story before, but I'll tell it again. I was driving in Peterborough one day and come up to a certain roundabout and there was a car conked out in the roundabout. And I thought, well, that's an awful place to stop, right in the middle of a roundabout. Picture the roundabout down the road there at Sandy, okay? That busy. And uh, there was this car in the middle of a roundabout. And uh, then I realized why it was there because it was an Eastern European car with an engine at the back, and out of the back of the car was coming flames. So I got out of my car, and I stood and shouted, get out! Not very elegant, but very necessary. Fortunately, she heard me and got out. And I went off and called the fire brigade and when I went back it was all gone so perhaps the fire extinguished itself but you see it might not have done and she might have burnt to death. Eloquence was not needed. A warning was needed. And this is what the gospel is all about. Because had I succeeded in saving her life my yelling, my bawling would have been a precious gift, the gift of life. Not that I want to Uh, honour myself of course anybody would have done it but you see the point this is what gospel preaching is about not with eloquence but with tremendous value for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life It is the blood that makes atonement and what is more precious than the blood of Christ once for all on the cross of Calvary. And that brings us to the fourth point, therefore, it is a lasting gift. It is a gift which lasts for eternity. Now, I've still got the watch I showed you this morning, which I was given when I was 11 years old. And perhaps... In the providence of God, it has stopped. It doesn't go anymore very well. Only 65 years. Only 65 years. Not very long, really, is it? And it's worn out or whatever, dirty. No good. I did wind it up. (laughs) Sometimes I get these watches going and forgotten to wind them, probably. But I did wind that fully, and it stopped. This is a gift that will go for all eternity, the gift, the blessed gift of eternal life. Now, God made a promise to Noah, which we often quote at harvest time. (laughs) While earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That promise given to Noah, indicated by the rainbow, we often remember. But what we forget is that in chapter 8 of Genesis, before that promise came, what did Noah do? He made a sacrifice of blood. God's promise is always accompanied by blood. And that lasting promise to Noah, which is still in effect, yes, there are floods local here and there. And uh, I was reading a leaflet about the flooding that we might expect in the Fens. I live on the edge of the Fens at see. May come, we don't know. But not the whole earth, contrary to what people try and tell us. The whole earth is not going to be flooded again. That's God's promise. And it's a lasting promise. The promise of salvation in Jesus Christ is a promise for all eternity. And so, fifthly, it is a gift that we need to share. We need to share. We saw this morning from that earlier passage in 2 Corinthians how Paul sought to share the gospel. He sought to share it with an open heart and seeking the salvation of the lost. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Sadly, a church where I do sometimes preach over in Norfolk has had a division. And I don't know how public this is, but I won't name the church. But it's very sad, having known that church for well over 50 years, that now there is a division. They worship together, but they are not united in the gospel. We ought to love one another, and because of this great gift of the cross of Calvary, to bear with one another, to forgive one another. So when Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, chapter 4, verse 10, as each has received a gift, so use it to serve one another. And when we have received that inexpressible gift of salvation in Christ, so much more should we serve one another. Now, my second point is just a few brief headings because it's just quoting from the verses of this chapter above our text. And it is concerned with the Christian gift of Christian love. We read in Colossians, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, I will for once croak the Greek this evening because the Greek words are different order. And thankful be. The word be being secondary to the word thankful. Thankful be. Why? We have received God's most inexpressible gift of salvation. Thankful be. Thankful be. So let's just work this out from these earlier verses of 2 Corinthians chapter nine, very briefly. Firstly, we see it is spontaneous, verses one and two. Paul says, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, why? Well, because it's so spontaneous, he doesn't need to remind them they're doing it anyway. Oh, how often we have to be reminded to do things, but these were doing it. Despite their faults, they were spontaneous in their love. Secondly, verse uh, two again, it is enthusiastic for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. They were ready, they were enthusiastic in their giving. What about you, what about me, are we enthusiastic in our giving or are we parsimonious and need reminding? Well, they were enthusiastic. Secondly, or Thirdly, rather, they were inspiring and your zeal has stirred up most of them, speaking of other Christians. They inspired other Christians. Can you look in the mirror when you get home and say, I inspire other Christians? That's a tall order. Can we do it? Well, we should be able to do it. That's what it's saying right here. They were an inspiration to other Christians. They stirred up most of them, not all of them. Perhaps you are one that doesn't get stirred up. Perhaps it's because the people you see are not inspiring you to be stirred up. They were stirred up. Fourthly, it was dependable. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready with gifts, verse five, We should be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. Paul, you see, knew he could depend upon these Corinthian Christians for their generosity with their gift. Are you dependable in your service for the Lord as an individual and in this church fellowship or wherever your church fellowship is? Are you reliable? Are you dependable? These were. So Paul had no qualms about bringing witnesses to see that they were all he said that they were. It is richly rewarded. What? We are told elsewhere not to seek a reward. But Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I don't think he's saying you should only give if you expect something back. That is the tragedy of the national lottery, and I will stick my neck out and say no Christian should ever go in for that sort of thing because people say, well, we're raising money for charity. Yes, but they will only do it if they stand the prospect of winning a million pounds. Now, I'm not sure if I got this right, but I think a chap who won 100 million pounds a few years ago has now died. So what happened to his money? I don't know. People will only give if they think they're going to win something. No Christian should have that attitude. To give and not to count the cost is the big biblical point. We should not be doing this. We should be giving and not counting the cost. Why? Because God will reward not with a million-pound jackpot so we can live a life of idle luxury, but with eternal life, we will receive press down and running order. And final point, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. I love that verse because it ties in so wonderfully with verse 16. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. God gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. What kind of love is this? Now, I've got it right this time, I think, Will, have I not? What kind of love is this? Let's close with that hymn and reflect upon that wonderful gift, given in love upon the cross of Calvary. Let's stand and sing.